0: Hey guys, welcome back to the Marriage Project Podcast, where we get to hear couples share God's faithfulness through the telling of their testimonies within their marriage. Andrea and Elliot Johnson have been on the podcast twice before. Their first episode was a powerful telling of their testimonies and marriage story. The second, we had the privilege of having them break down all things finances, as Elliot is a financial coach and let me say that part again. The second, we had the privilege of having them break down all things finances as Elliot is a financial coach. This third installment, we are going to hear the journey that they've been on the last couple of years with a large part of what they'll be sharing stemming from Andrea's diagnosis and journey with endometriosis. So welcome back to the Marriage Project, guys.
1: Thanks for having us, Alicia.
0: Thanks for having us back. Of course. You guys are, the I think, the first couple that have come back multiple times, and I, I like it because we get to hear just more about you. I feel like sometimes it's such a brief overview of stories that mm. we want to get to topics and real-life things that you guys have gone through in marriage, so I appreciate that. So there's so much to share. I know that you have... A lot of to say about pertaining to this journey. Um, so to kick it off, I thought, Andrea, you could open up by sharing just some of the stats that you've learned pertaining to this diagnosis. Some people might not even know what endometriosis is. So mm-hmm. can you, yeah. since that's gonna be a large portion of this and what you guys have been up to the last couple of years, I know, Elliot, you've taken some time off from your podcast mm-hmm. and you're getting back to that place of recording again, which is exciting. So before all of that, can you just share with us, what is endometriosis? Yeah, so um, really, it's a very
2: mysterious and misunderstood um, um, disease, I guess, the healthcare world would call it, but um, it's an immune disorder and a dysfunction of the immune system. And it's taking, um, it takes women, about seven to 15 years to actually get a diagnosis or find a practitioner that'll listen to them. And that's at least, and then with the diagnosis, it's women, uh, one in 10 women will be diagnosed with endometriosis. But I mean, even then, like there are tons of women that suffer with these symptoms that um, are not, that go completely undiagnosed for even their whole lives. Um, I know that for me, it took about from when I became symptomatic, I was about, I was 13 and, um, it wasn't until I was 27 that I was diagnosed. So for me, I fell into that statistic of women taking seven to 15 years to even get a diagnosis. It's a dysfunction of the immune system where tissue um, and adhesions begin to grow within different areas of your body um for me it was in my pelvis and in my abdomen mm-hmm. and um I mean there are women who get it in their diaphragm in their lungs in their brain there's even been studies have shown that they, that they've found it in women's brains and on nerves and um pretty much everywhere it's 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 insane it's almost i would describe it as being almost um a benign cancer though it feels anything but benign <laughs> so um, yeah from my experience I had um, lots of adhesions and um, and stuff going on within my pelvis and um, adhering like all of those organs in my abdomen together mm-hmm. and it just it causes excruciating pain so that's one of the main characteristics of endometriosis is just chronic or um, just acute, um, debilitating, excruciating pain, as well as oftentimes paired with infertility, and um, among many other symptoms. But those are the main characteristics of it.
0: Right. So, kind of retracting where we left you guys was—I think we recorded in January of 2020, Is that mm-hmm. right? And then 2020 happened, and that whole craziness. And so, about what time frame? Like after that, like had you been? In that place, Andrea, you'd you'd mm-hmm. been through it. You've since seventeen. You're saying you've been experiencing on and off pain.
2: Thirteen. So was, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you, that was a normal. Yeah, that was. I just thought that that was normal, and I, or I thought that I was um, dramatic, or that I had a low pain tolerance, and that I was unable to deal with what everybody else, every other woman, was able to deal with. So I just thought my um, tolerance for pain was much lower than everybody else's.
0: Right. So, to kind of bring the like marriage aspect in and here mm-hmm. side. So, when when did you start vocalizing to him? It probably was just it was since you're saying you're in debilitating pain, was it taking a toll on your marriage or or what were you feeling as you watched your wife go through this Elliot and and when did you guys get to the point of like okay, we need to get to the bottom of
1: this? I think in the beginning i i didn't take it as seriously as i should have and i'm kind of ashamed to say it looking back on what we've been through but uh i i kind of just came to expect that every three weeks or so she would be in some pain and you know i'd kind of just leave her alone and try to love her the best i could without being too annoying or (laughs) like bothering her um and so there was a lot of different emotions involved i kind of knew just to back off and try to be more loving you know every three weeks but uh, I, sometimes it got really annoying, especially when the pain became more inconsistent and more frequent. Because sometimes I would come home and I'm like, I don't know which wife I'm going to get today. Mm. And so sometimes that was rough. And I didn't know what I was walking into. And I think that caused a lot of arguments. And, um, and looking back, it was really insensitive, knowing what I know now, but, you know, then I really didn't understand what was going on. And she hadn't been diagnosed or been going to the doctor. And so I'm like, well, if it ain't that bad to go to the doctor, then what's going on. And I think when your questions was, when did it become a reality? Mm -hmm. Um, I I think when we decided we were going to try to have kids um, Mm -hmm. and then we were unable to, Mm -hmm. and then things got really good. She wasn't in pain for a couple of months. And then all of a sudden it's like the floor fell out and um, she started to be in really debilitating pain for a long time. And even then I was kind of wrestling with what is this? What's going on? Do we need to go to the doctor? Is this something that you're going to recover from? um is it just being overly dramatic um and a part of me was like whatever I can't deal with this I need to go to work it pains me to say that now but um I think when it got real for me the day I came home from work and she was in the office and she kind of laid back um in the office chair and she says can you can you see this and she kind of lifts up her shirt a little bit and there was like a little ball or bump on her stomach and I'm mm-hmm. like, I think so, and I went over and touched it, and it was, like, very hard, and I was, like, maybe we need to get this looked at, and um, and we did, and we went to the doctor, mm-hmm. and I think that was the moment for me that it, like, this just got real, because on the other side was just, like, there was nothing mm-hmm. there, but on one side, there was obviously um, mm-hmm. something about the size of a softball, like, protruding from her hip,
2: right, And that's how I finally was diagnosed in early 2020, I began to experience, um, a lot more pain more frequently. And then especially on one side. Mm -hmm. And as, as, um, I went to get an ultrasound and that's when they found that I had a mass, um, or what's called an endometrioma about the size of a a grapefruit or like a small cantaloupe, you know, 10 centimeters, they said. And, um,
1: well, let's take a step back because so when they first found it it was seven centimeters
2: no, no no when they first found it it was 10.
1: oh okay and then when I'm they correctly. finally
2: removed it it was like 12 13 little couple inches
1: centimeters.
2: Or, <laughs> <laughs> they said you have this endometrioma and then um because of covid i wasn't able to get seen um and they kept calling the surgery to remove it elective and not urgent though it was really urgent like there have there are women that have that have died from having an endometrioma um it's it's an ovarian torsion so it's your ovary twists because of the weight or because of the weight because of the this this large mass cause your causes your fallopian tube to twist and you know um it it um you basically you you bleed out because of the trauma happening there and um women have died because they, they're not believed, they're not getting the care that they need. And so fortunately, after many ER visits and, um, and all that, I was able to get seen and um, accommodated with the surgery um, mid-July. And that's when they removed the large mass. And that's kind of like when Elliot began to take it a little bit more seriously.
1: Well, I'll tell you what, I mean, spending the night in the hospital parking lot, because they won't allow you to be with your wife, well, you know, she's in agonizing pain, wakes you up really quick. And, um, you know, we kept going back, must've been every week or two weeks. And they found that this thing was growing a centimeter or two every time we were going back. And so the question became, when is this emergent? Mm -hmm. Like, are you just going to allow this thing to explode and then hope we make it somewhere in time? Or can we just take care of it?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So it was, in that surgery that I had it removed and that's when the doctor was able to see inside my abdomen and diagnose me with endometriosis Mm -hmm. so when I um had that surgery where they removed the cyst and um they diagnosed me it was weirdly such a relief but also so overwhelming it was like wow finally I have a reason I finally have um it's not a mystery i'm not crazy like it's not all in my head so there was like this huge weight of relief to know that there was a reason for all my pain all these years um but also so overwhelming because it's like okay you have this disease that we don't know what causes it and there's nothing you can do about it there's no cure to it and you might not be able to have kids and we have to take, take out an ovary and and all these things so it was simultaneously relieving and overwhelming and then um and then, from there, in the conventional healthcare world, that's all they tell you is we don't know what causes it. there's no cure for it. All you can do is get on the pill the birth control pill to suppress your hormones or and take painkillers. but that's all you can do you can you just have to live with it. so from there, I felt um, on my own, basically, I felt like nobody could help me like they're telling me that this is this is my life and but I was like, no, like that's not, I'm not having that. Like I've been on birth control since I was 13 because of this pain and it's been, it's done nothing but bandaid it. So there was a lot of, there was, you know, relief, there was overwhelm, there was anger for, you know, something not being done sooner for, there was a lot of um, disillusionment realizing that these people that you trusted and that you believed in that you thought we're supposed to know best and they were supposed to be able to help you couldn't and they didn't know best and just basically re- realizing this authority doesn't know everything doctors don't know everything and um so it it kind of it kind of propelled me into this um this world of um learning how to advocate for myself and learning my body, learning my cycles, learning hormones, learning how the immune system works, learning how the metabolism works, learning how it's the um, foundation for all the body's functions and um, learning um, just how lifestyle and stress and trauma and all of these things affect you and how it's just simply not talked about and basically learning that I did not want to be part of the conventional healthcare system anymore. And that I really had to become an expert on my own body. So it went from like relief to fear, overwhelm, anger, um, searching, empowerment, and finally realizing that it's my own responsibility. Mm -hmm. And nobody cares as
0: much about my health as as I do, or I will. (laughs) And you're the only one that's with you 24 seven. Like you, (laughs) you see everything. You can only tell them,
2: uh, I'm, I mean, I experience my own body every day. Only I can be an expert on my body.
0: Explain to us from there, you would think, oh, like this, this answer, you've gotten this diagnosis, you're on this path to learning your body. Yet that wasn't the end of the road. There was still, you thought that was possibly going to be the cure, right? That that mass coming out would mm. bring pain-free days, which... It didn't. Mm-hmm. So from there, what did the next year or so look like? Um, right, is that about right that timeline? Mm-hmm. Just learning
2: all of these things and trying to figure out what I could do naturally to to heal. It wasn't enough in the sense that um, the severity of my stage I was uh, quote unquote stage four, so meaning it was just really severe, and um. So about a few months, about six months after my surgeries, when things started to get really, really bad, it came down to a point where I told Elliot, like, I cannot live like this. I was in pain every single day, every single night, um, could not leave, like, could I couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't make plans. I couldn't keep plans. Um, just completely isolated and like bedridden basically, except for maybe five days out of the month. And it just took a huge toll on my mental health. And um, just it just took a huge toll on me to the point where I was, like, there were times when Elliot would have to leave <clears throat> for work or some sort of um, obligation or commitment. And like, I'd be home alone in such extreme pain that I'm like, I'm going to end this. Like, I'm I'm done. Like, I can't go on like this. And I would continue to reach out to like my OBGYN and ask him like, what is going on? I thought like what you did was supposed to help. And like, and nothing from like nothing from him. No, no actual help. He even called me several months after one time I reached out to him telling me that he consulted with his um, colleagues um, who were also experts in apparently endometriosis. And they basically told him like, yeah you've done all that you can do. You can't do anything more for this girl. Um, In all my research, I had heard, I had read about something called wide excision surgery. And um, so I looked into that and, um, but it's, it was so expensive. There would be lots of travel involved. So I really tried to leave that as a last resort. (laughs) And, um, but it came down to basically having to do that, basically not being able to, to go on nothing i was doing was helping much and so um we were determined us together we it was when i basically came to you and i was like i think this is what we have to do yeah and um so together we we searched for what's called a an excision specialist and we found a handful and we interviewed well i interviewed a couple of them um found lots of great resources from like Facebook support groups on like what questions to ask an excision specialist and and all that and um he was very supportive in in um in just doing all that research and then we finally found an amazing excision specialist Dr Andrew Cook in Durango Colorado and I interviewed him um, went through the whole process of um, getting my surgery booked and office is amazing every single person that I interacted with was just so kind so compassionate and you know like it's they get it there are some people out there who get it and it was just such an, an- answered prayer because mm-hmm. um you just you feel desperate and hopeless and feel like nobody's out there who understands but um i began i i had hope um in finding them and so we finally got that surgery date booked and um Elliot actually did a lot of the paperwork for me during those times when I was in so much pain I couldn't do anything um which thank god because anyway I wouldn't have one so he's the nerd in our relationship right (laughs) so um
1: yeah there were mountains of paperwork and this was this wasn't something that was covered with insurance yeah um so it was lots and lots of money and um we could talk about the financial stuff later, but yeah, it was definitely toll taking. It w- it wasn't easy. And um, I think for me, since you asked about the emotional side, if I could, I know that, you know, guys don't tend to be emotional, but I um, I I don't think, I think I compartmentalized it to the point where I couldn't feel it because I just had to function. You know, I was still working full time. I was in a management role. I, Um, and I didn't have set hours. I was working salary. So it wasn't like I clock in or clock out and then I can give my wife the time she needs. You know, there were, there were days where I would wake up at three o'clock in the morning and not be home till four or five, six o'clock at night and, um, you know, exhausted and then try to be there for her. And it just, it took a huge toll. Um, I think when it finally hit me is I had suppressed it for so long just to be in survival mode and function. Um, you know, my dad called me when we were in Durango and, and I had left Dre in the hospital to go get us some food. And my dad says, um, how you doing or how do you feel about all this? And without thinking, my response was, I don't. And I thought about it later and I'm like, I don't feel this.
2: Mm-hmm. And that's
1: when I realized I had a problem.
2: Mm-hmm. He was basically like in survival mode to kind of
0: um, just to like kind of be there for me right like you almost had to be the strong one in the sense that you can almost deal with your stuff later as long as we've fixed this first because this was the urgent thing
2: right yeah and even go ahead no i was was just gonna say even even this like god has used even this situation to um bring that to elliot's um bring it to the surface like there is a problem here that you um so, after my surgery, he okay, so he was so, so, so compassionate, so patient, so kind, so loving, like I felt even more in love with him, like <laughs> it was simultaneously the worst time of our lives, but also like the best because our relationship grew um so like I had never been loved so well, so graciously, and so I was so thankful, and i feel like was even more in love with him through the way he's so selflessly um and joyfully cared for me and was just there for me when i felt like such a burden and um may i go ahead
1: <laughs> I, well that was difficult too because i was putting so much of myself on the back burner we we were already you know really cheesy and passionately in love but in that season i know it's kind of silly but in that season i really i felt like our marriage went to a level it never would have gotten to before without that kind of tragedy and um personally i was I learned how to love my wife with such, um, unselfishness without any hope of reciprocity. Uh, and it hurt a lot. Not
2: knowing when it would end.
1: Well, there were, there were days where I would be driving to work at ungodly hours. And it's like, I had to come to grips with, I might lose my wife, whether she's going to end it or God's going to end it. Or like, I didn't know. And there were times where I would like, breakdown crying before I, you know, tried to go to work, and there were times I, I tried to come to grips with this, Um, and it, it was, it got real for a while, but I had to put it together, I had to pack it away, I had to do business, and then I had to go home and care for my wife, and so for a long time, I was just suppressing, and suppressing, and suppressing, and suppressing, and um, you could pick up what happened right after the surgery it was. Yeah, yeah,
2: so maybe, like, two weeks after my surgery he started to get really like short with me kind of like like less patient less kind less loving and I'm like wait what happened like I want my husband back like, like oh, you're only going to be kind to me if I'm sick like what's going on
0: <laughs> and yeah, no, it's um, tapped out.
2: <laughs> yeah and so I um it was, it was tough. So I, I think I initially brought that up to him and he kind of really didn't have much of an explanation or like, or anything like that. He kind of dismissed it. And so I just brought it to the Lord and was just like, Lord, I don't know what's going on with him, but I leave it in your hands. Like I trust you with him. You, you work on, you work in his heart. You do what you need to do. Um, you be for him, what he, what he needs in this time. I know he went through a lot as well. Um, though it was my, um, my illness, he, you know, it's his experience as well. Um, and so I feel like the Lord really used this to bring to surface for him things that he had not allowed himself to deal with as well, because from, from, um, from there, he actually sought out a, um, he he sought out a counselor and began counseling and, um, and was able to, basically uncover a lot of things that he needed to be healed from so I feel like God not only used use my experience to bring healing to me bring our marriage closer um I mean not that he obviously not saying that he caused it but you know he can use it all through it yeah um, sanctifying us through it all um so sanctifying our marriage um me and even allowing for it to bring healing to
0: Elliot's heart that's just like God he is so faithful when we were walking through the hardest things the valleys it's like he has purpose in all of that like Mm -hmm. you said something earlier like the you had something your pain had you know all of a sudden you said that earlier but counseling what was that decision like Elliot you just thought I need to do this too I need to walk through this
1: no I I honestly just had like a mental breakdown it's hard to describe but I was looking back through my prayer journal this year and I was just reading through it to kind of recap you know how things um went in January and I was reading back through it and um I put a sticky note in my journal and it's like I pinpointed the day where it's like I had been feeling like I couldn't discern reality from from dreams and I, I don't know how to explain that and I know people think it's weird um but after the surgery when my dad asked me how it felt and I realized I hadn't been feeling it and I had been suppressing it, I think when she was better, something in me just broke. Like, like the pop top, the top popped. There you go. And, um, and so there were several days, if not weeks where life didn't feel real. Like it didn't feel like there was substance. I, I couldn't tell if like life was happening or if it was a dream or I don't know. I, and I, something in my journal, I put like, I don't even know if I'm writing this right now. Like, I can't tell if this is real. Uh, And that's when I knew like, you're breaking down, you need help. Like you really need help. And, uh, and so I did, I I reached out um, through our employee assistance program and I I found a counselor, um, a really nice um, Christian lady that was local to us. And and we were doing telehealth and um, she really helped me navigate through it. And Um, basically what it came down to was there were traumas and things that had happened in my past and and growing up and I hadn't learned how to grieve through those things I didn't know the grieving process I didn't know how to process it um, mentally emotionally spiritually and I had just been shoving stuff aside and just like trucking forward and it came I think it all came crashing down in, in this case and so once I got help you know she walked with me very carefully and gently for the Um, better part of a year or so, Um, and it really helped dig up the roots of things that had happened in the past, and then the situation with my wife, and really helped me, and she prayed with me, and it helped me walk through and navigate the entire scenario and the past couple of years, and and how I had been living emotionally and spiritually, and instead of confronting or dealing with things, I had just been suppressing them, or putting them off, or compartmentalizing them, and I mean, everybody knows that neglecting things doesn't make them better, but you know I had been doing that for so long, I think, as a a self preservation mechanism from growing up that I kept doing it and then in this case, um I, I just couldn't deal anymore, and I broke
0: yeah, I was like picturing like a dam breaking like all the the powerful water force like up against a wall, and then it just like many things. God is the healer, he is the one that is healing you. He worked through Dr. Cook to heal your body. He's working through this counselor to heal you emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and just so many different ways. And so counseling is never a bad thing. Totally. It's, it's such a healthy thing. To... Of it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's important to find the right person mm-hmm. too—someone someone that is leading from a biblical standpoint, who has biblical input praise with you, you know, that's, That's really great.
2: Yeah. I mean, just as it's like, as important to find a healthcare practitioner, that is the right one, you know, that really wants to get to like the root of the issue and not just, you know, uh, shallowly uh, treat, treat each patient like as a cookie cutter situation. Totally. Yeah. So where are you now? Yeah. So, So, um, I really feel like I just got my life back. Like the Lord used, um, this doctor, this, um, excision specialist to give me my life back. Um, really. Yeah. And, um, so I really dove into the, cause I mean, it begs to question, and how did I get this bad and why now that I'm on the other side of it, are all these women coming out of the woodwork telling me of their health struggles. Like I'm just, I'm, there's so many and it's so sad. It's so, um, it's so sad how many of us are just not empowered to know how our bodies work and um, how we've been really conditioned to just trust doctors blindly and take the pill, whatever pill they give us, you know, and, but really God has designed us so, um, just so, we're just so, like such an integrated, beautiful, intricate design, and we, everything works together and in synergy, and um, I'm just having, diving into that, I'm able to, to really walk women through their hormonal struggles, their immune system struggles, their meta- metabolic struggles, um, just from what I've learned for myself and I could never have imagined anything good coming out of my, my journey. Um, so these days it's been, um, the Lord just really redeemed it in a way that I never thought possible, but of course he did. Cause that's what he does. You know, it's just, it's been really, it's been really awesome to work with, a, um, women who've like, who've been diagnosed with PCOS or, um, Mm -hmm. things like that. And they've never had, um, regular hormones to now they're supporting their metabolism. And now finally they have regulate, their hormones are regulated. And it's really amazing to see that like such very, very simple, simple, um, lifestyle changes kind of just back going back into, um, the lord's design for us like bringing our health our our lifestyles back into the context that he created us feed and nourishing our bodies with the things that he created for us to be nourished by you know real food actual sunlight good community you know less stress just all just so an all-encompassing lifestyle um changes it's just been really incredible to see um not only my healing Going forward, um, but also being able to help other women
0: with their own healing journeys. I should have looked.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll have
0: to. i have to put it in for everybody. But it was at the start of January 2020. You guys talked a lot about finances. You talked a lot about your um, the way you save the the program you go through, just your methods and. Let's talk about that, so yeah. you then you didn't know this was going to come in handy. Your medical emergency fund yeah. what did that look like? I mean, you had this surgery that you had to pay for out of pocket. you even begin that journey of like um putting aside money for a medical savings account and just someone that might need to do that practically speaking like how did that how does that look?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, we kind of have to take a step back to get the a, a bigger picture, but Um, Yeah, at first it was a side hustle when I was working full time and doing this um, on the side. And the goal was to do it, build it up enough so that I could work full time to be at home with my wife. And there was a big urgency behind it because I was doing the coaching and the podcasting um, and teaching financial courses for churches, small businesses, things like that. And it, it started to go really well. And then, you know, we got put in the blender with my wife's health and I couldn't, I couldn't do everything. I couldn't do full time ministry. I couldn't work full time and I couldn't do coaching part time. It was so overwhelming that something had to give. Um, and so we, we put a hold on the financial coaching business. We didn't stop completely. Um, I was just incredibly selective with the number of clients and how often I could coach them. Yeah, basically we teach um, the baby steps. So I'm certified through Ramsey Solutions as a financial coach and we teach the seven baby steps. Okay. So basically once we got out of debt, um, the, the next goal is to save three to six months as an emergency fund. So uh, three to six months worth of expenses, which is food, um, shelter, transportation, and utilities. Um, And if you can cover those four walls, then you can live to fight another day, right? So calculating out what those basic four necessities are and then multiplying that by three or six as your three to six month emergency fund. And so we had done that um, many years ago and then we started to save for a house. Uh, And so we were blessed to be able to save up a lot of money very quickly in the employment that I had. And so, we we had a big chunk of money saved so um i thought you know we had incredible insurance at the time and i thought that you know her first surgery was going to solve it and it didn't and then for a long time they were like hands off we've done what we could your wife's just going to have to stay in pain and at this point i was like we will spare no expense i don't care like we've we've saved up enough and if it runs us dry i don't care i want my wife back Mm -hmm. and it really taught me what was most important in life and uh you know, we earned a ton of money and we saved a ton of money, but all of it meant absolutely nothing. And I came to a very quick realization that it doesn't matter. It literally doesn't matter. And so, um, she was like, well, you know, it might cost this. It might, might cost that. And before I'm ashamed to say that sometimes when it came to finding a doctor that would be able to help her, I was a little bit stingy because I didn't know, I don't think I didn't believe her, but I was like, I don't know. We have really good insurance. Can't you just find somebody in, in our network and?" And, but eventually it's like, you know, we, she was, she ran through three or four different practitioners that were starting to help, but not really. And eventually we were just like, I don't care anymore. Like, let's just, we, we have to, you know, no, no holds, but like, it doesn't matter anymore. We're just, we're not going to spare any expense. And, um, l- thankfully a lot of people actually reached out and they wanted to be generous and yeah. offer help. And at first I was really prideful and I'm like, no, we don't need help. Like I've been teaching this a long time. We've been saving. We got it. And that was just straight up pride. And uh, my father-in-law actually called me and he said, listen, if people want to be a blessing to you, then don't steal that from them. Like Mm -hmm. you're robbing them of dignity Mm -hmm. from being a blessing to you and your wife. Mm -hmm. You guys have made a difference and an impact. And if people want to bless you, then we're going to bless you, whether you like it or not. Mm -hmm. And it was really humbling for me. And so, Mm -hmm. um, because again, I had been fighting on my own for so long that I felt like, just let me deal with it. Right. But, I mean, I'm telling you, the generosity of people mm-hmm. blew my mind.
2: Yeah, it really alleviated a lot of the financial burden, but also it gave us, it was, it was so humbling, really. Yeah. It was really just so humbling.
1: And so the, the, when people gave, it really covered, I think, airfare and the hotel. Right. Um, and so that was a huge burden lifted because we were in Durango for like a week and a half, Almost two weeks. weeks,
2: two weeks. Um, week's um,
1: and the, the airfare, um, we had to get like some podunk plane that went from one odd airport to another. And so it was, it was all really strange. And honestly, I, I've said it before, but I can't thank you enough for checking in Alicia and, and texting oh. me and following up on my wife, like every day, even when she was in such agony that she couldn't even respond. I was so thankful for you and everybody else who, who honestly cared. Mm-hmm. And it, it wasn't just the financial support that made the difference. It was people actually caring. Oh. And um, it really did make the difference. Yeah. So.
2: And it was really just like, it was hard to see the goodness of God a lot of times through that whole journey but it was really in those moments um those moments where we God really showed his goodness through people through whether it be like their prayers their their text messages their are bringing dinners their um literal support and finances that were I was just like so thankful
1: it was incredibly humbling too because
2: yeah. I, sure. I
1: was I was so used to being the one on the giving end and helping others and I didn't know how to receive that for myself mm-hmm. and so part of me was kind of offended and the other part of me was really prideful mm-hmm. and I just had to I just had to take an L and, and sit in the back seat and allow God and it was so difficult for me to do that but um yeah. mm-hmm. so, I mean it, it is a biblical concept to save and he's saying save for emergencies because they're going to come and statistically every 10 years you will have a significant life change it's almost everybody will so for us that was a huge change and you know we had been following the the biblical principles that I've taught Uh, and although the money that we were saving was for a house Mm -hmm. you can keep the house I want my wife
2: I was so really amazed um, at like God's provision, because yeah. like he pressed, um, he brought this to us, like he pressed, it, he put it upon our heart to steward our finances as well to get out of debt to save. And then it was on our heart to save for a home. So we saved a lot. <laughs> and, yeah. um, and that was many years ago. And we didn't know that this would happen, but God did. And so we may have been planning um, to, to buy a home but he knew like, Hey, like I'm going to use this desire to prepare you for this. Cause you couldn't possibly know it's ahead. Right. And though the generosity of other people did alleviate a lot of the financial burden, there was still a huge chunk that we had to pay out of pocket. It was over 30 grand. So we're talking about right. specific numbers over 30 grand for this surgery, mm-hmm. um, out of, out of pocket. Right. And, um, there's no I mean, not that there's no way God could have provided some other way, but this is how he provided was, you know, this desire, he placing this desire on our heart to save for this reason. Yeah. So we thought, right. yeah, but, um, but just knowing just his provision, basically his sovereignty over our, our, our journeys.
1: And just his blessing on the stewardship Right I mean, stewardship is just managing the resources God's given you God's ways for God's glory. Mm-hmm. And, um, and again, everything that I've been teaching people for years, we were doing, I can't teach people to do things that I'm not doing. Right. Um, and so not only were we saving, we were investing, you know, we had from the outside, it was like, we had a lot of stewardship things locked down Pat, but it was, I mean, when something like this just hits you on the side of the head, I mean, you know, we kind of joke now it's like, I already bought you a Tesla. I knew you wanted one, but you know, <laughs> it's, you know, the, cause the surgery costs
2: oh, more see. than a Tesla.
1: <laughs> You know, and so it's like we were saving for something else, like she was saying, and um, that's why I said like screw the house, screw the Tesla, I'd rather have my wife, like we could have done a lot of different things, Um, but it was, and I thought that I would feel it more when we paid for it, you know, it was 30 grand plus, like just the surgery was 30 grand, not the hospital stay, not the medicines, not the anesthesia, like, so she's like lowballing it basically, and And so I felt like like, like that's a lot of money. And I thought that I would feel it more because we'd been saving for a long time and sacrificing. And I mean, we got out of debt. We live so far below our means. It's not funny. And it's like, because we had real big goals and so we're making real big sacrifices. And then when we finally had to pay for it, I didn't feel it at all.
2: Mm. Really the um, financial stewardship and saving, it made what could have been like a really huge um catastrophe you know like hugely stressful it was hugely stressful in in itself like because of the situation but like thank god we had we were able to pay for it and that was not the issue you know we didn't have to stress about that and that was just unbelievably um unbelievably amazing to not have to stress about that
1: yeah it, it took a catastrophe and turned it into an inconvenience
0: yeah Archangely. yeah that's and it, like you said it's like god tests us too like does money have you or do you have money you know uh-huh. and like i think when we have to give it a large sum like that over that's the test for us to see what because i think saving can become such a um a mind trap too of like oh I, I have this amount like you're almost like proud that you have it or like it's that security or because I know when I've saved chunks of money I'm like well where am I how am I going to spend it and I know you guys had a goal but like you said Dre, it's like God put that desire for that house in your heart and for whatever you know we're seeing now the, the beginning of the purpose I'm sure it's going to just ripple out too as you guys continue you guys are just fresh starting these ministries yeah it reminds
2: me of the um scripture that the um that man makes his plans with the lord orders
0: his steps right yeah absolutely so to wrap this up um i'm gonna steer people your way because you guys have so much more to say but you're gonna say it on your podcast elliot so what can listeners look for in the coming season of podcasting for elliot's financial coaching
1: I'm super excited. So uh, in addition to what Drea was saying, we finally decided um, it was time to leave the full-time career and follow our full-time passion and calling. And uh, we were able to do that because of, we've been following these principles that God's laid out for us. So this year, it really taught me what was most important. And um, we decided we're going to work together. And um, it, you know, I decided I'm never going to have to leave my wife again. And so that's what we're doing now. And I'm super excited to be able to coach people full-time to start podcasting and just pouring myself out because it, it takes on a whole new meaning now because I've been teaching it. But once something happens and you live it, like I've been teaching people to have an emergency fund forever, you know, at least seven or eight years. And then when an emergency hits you, it's like, whoa, it brings, it brings the reality of it out. You know, I've, I've walked people through emergencies before, but when it happens to you, it's it's a whole new level. And so it, it brought me a ton of clarity and God really showed me what was most important. And, uh, so we decided to, we're going to do this full-time <laughs> and it gives me a whole new passion and excitement to do it. And so the podcast I'm hoping to launch really soon. I have a couple of episodes already pre-recorded for the, for what we're going to come out. Um, also we're going to be starting a, a newsletter, full-time coaching. I mentioned, I'm just excited for what God has for us this year, honestly.
0: And last little mic drop moment. You guys are recording from a new state. <laughs> right,
1: I didn't even mention that. Yeah, so we decided that, um, you know, I, I, I worked for 10 years in a, in a natural gas utility in California and um, did amazing things in that career, things that people told me weren't even possible in 10 years. And uh, so it was fantastic. I, I absolutely loved what I did, but I decided that um, gaining the world, quote unquote, Meant nothing if I didn't have my wife, or I wasn't able to be here for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, the stewardship that we had practiced over the years, we were finally able to push the retirement button, and we moved to Texas. So and that's, just a, that's just a small part of our decision-making process, but yeah. it was—it was a—it was, <clears throat> was definitely a huge decision. And but yeah. we couldn't be more excited. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, Andrea, just where can they? Um, you if they if they landed here and they don't follow you yet
2: yeah so um you can find me on instagram at ever always aj um yeah that's where i'll i'm beginning to share more um about metabolic healing and um the metabolism and all of that and i will i am coaching women one-on-one now but soon we'll be opening um up like a wait list for that on my social media i haven't done that yet but soon we'll be doing that so over on Instagram at
0: ever always AJ is where I can be found. Yes, and you do share recipes and inspiration for the kitchen. <laughs> so, uh, well, guys, for opening that up. I know there's so much more, as always, that we try to condense it. So I'm sure if you're listening and you're like, wow, like I have so many questions for the, either one of Elliot or Andrea, you can reach out. They're happy to message you back and get that conversation started so thank you guys for being vulnerable and just sharing a bit of that um unpacking what you've been through thank you for having
2: us